He was fourth in MVP voting in the American League last year, but he was the Yankees' MVP last season. DJ LeMay, he was on his way back from his bout with COVID. He is expected to rejoin the Yankees this week as we continue to get you ready for opening day in D.C. It's just a week away. The voice of the Yankees, Michael Kay, will join us on this episode of the show. All that and more next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Welcome to the Pinstripe Pod, a New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Chris Sheeran, alongside my co-host, Yankee and four-time World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Chris Sheeran, yes, and Nelly is at NYNelly43. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you use Apple, please give us a five-star rating and write a nice review, if you would. The voice of the Yankees, Michael K., joins us later in the show, but the other half of the voice of this podcast joins us right now, and that's Jeff Nelson and Nelly. You know, the last couple times we've talked, it's been nothing but pretty much doom and gloom and bad news for the Yankees. Masahiro Tanaka takes a 112-mile-an-hour line drive back off his head on July 4th as soon as the Yankees start spring training 2.0. Aroldis Chapman goes down with the coronavirus. However, today we start with a little bit of good news, and that's the fact that one of the Yankees who didn't come to spring training 2.0 at Yankee Stadium, DJ LeMahieu, because of a coronavirus-positive test, is expected to be back by opening day. So, some positivity, finally. Yes, but first, I want to get when we, we had Charlie Hayes on, on Monday. And yeah. There's been all kinds of slack, and I've heard Twitter notes and Facebook notes about Brian Bowringer and the serial killer. Our next guest needs to be Brian Bowringer, so he could talk about the his rookie season in 96 and what everybody thought of him, just so he can redeem himself just a little <laughs> bit. Because after that, I mean, it was good for us. We got tons of, tons of listens, and everybody's yeah. like, okay, what's going to happen? next but uh you know they got serial killers now on yankee on yankee teams and sitting in buses and waiting for guys to walk by so uh you know we're gonna have to have bow ringer on our as our maybe next guest next week sometime but. my question is as a producer can we find him i mean i haven't heard from oh Brian i can Bowringer. find him i got i text him he was texting me he was texting me and uh instant messaging me once he uh once he saw that his name was being put out and said that he was a serial killer he's i'm sure he thinks it's fine i see him all the time in uh fantasy camp fantasy camp i talked to bow at fantasy camp when I was down there with Yankees magazine and and, he, and I didn't get any serial killer vibes from Bo when we talked he was a great guy oh yeah absolutely he is you know he's one of those rookies that's better seen than than heard and that's what you're supposed to do now it's a little different I mean he played the part perfectly just guys uh guys thought this oh my god and he would wear uh, you know read different books and and uh he he was interested in that kind of stuff yeah, not just that he because, would do it just because you read books about people doesn't mean you are those people and I I think it was just a, a really funny story from veterans like Charlie Hayes and Cecil Fielder and Rock Reigns. It was just a way to have fun with a rook. Oh, and, they would laugh you know, so much yeah, when he walked by. Oh my god! And I'm glad we're. And doing he would it. love it. He would. He would. Yeah, he would eat it up. I mean, he would play the part even perfect. You know, even more perfect once uh, once they realized that he was scared or they were scared of him. He was like, "Okay, I got him now." Yeah. So just for the record, I'm glad Nelly brought it up. But just for the record, no, Brian Bowringer is not a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get back to yeah. the, let's get back to the good news though and that is DJ LeMay who is coming back. I mentioned in the 
teaser that he was fourth in the AL MVP voting. Of course, Mike Trout won it last year in 2019. But for all intents and purposes, Nelly, DJ LeMahieu was definitely the Yankees' most valuable player last year. Yeah, he was. And, and you know, it was nice to see once he came over. I knew, you know, this guy won a batting title in the National League with the Rockies. And it was like, oh, Colorado, you know, the, the thin air. Of course, he's going to hit a lot better. But, you know, I think the Yankee fans saw what they got from LeMahieu, not just in the field, but at the plate. And, and he handled New York perfectly. You always wonder how guys, when they come over from different teams, are going to handle the pressures of playing in the Yankee Stadium. Uh, it's a little different now with the new stadium compared to the old one. But the media level, you know, the fans, the fans are always expecting uh, greatness all the time. And sometimes the pressures get, get to guys. And, you know, you wonder, okay, was he going to be able to handle it? He handled it perfectly. This guy by far was the MVP. And if he wasn't going to be ready for the season, he was going to truly miss. And it's nice to see uh, he's going to get a week worth at bats and they'll try to do everything they can. This isn't spring training. Now, spring training, guys can get their at bats and, you know, they can go down to the minor leagues and play games, lead off every inning, you know, take batting practice off of live pitching. Uh, now they can't do that unless they have the scrimmage games, which I kind of stayed away from until the last couple of days. I said, you know what? I don't know what it's going to be like without any fans in the stands. Is this going to be like uh, Central Park softball when, when you don't hear anything <laughs> but the crack of the bat? And so I said, okay, I got to watch. I did watch the last couple of times and I watched yesterday uh, to see Aaron Judge hit the big home run and then uh, Stanton go back to back off of off of Paxton. But, you know, to get LeMahieu back, I mean, that's a huge, huge lift to this lineup. Well, you mentioned that. That's a great point, Eddie Unelli, because they could have just sent him across the street uh, to the minor league facility in Tampa to get those at bats and leading off every inning and, and getting in his work there. How does he get in the, the work essential? Because it, we're talking about a week away from opening day and facing Max Scherzer, and we know the pitchers are ahead of the hitters. That, that That's a hell of a smelling salt to walk back into the batter's box and have to deal with Mad Max. It is. It's a little bit different for, you know, I know he had 26 homers last year and you say, hey, he's got a power guy, but he's a contact guy. He's an average guy. He hits for average. He puts the ball in play. Uh, he can he can fight balls off. It isn't like, oh, I got to get my timing down if you're an Aaron Judge and a Carlos Stanton because you're a power guy and and I got to get my swing right or whether it's a launch and whatever you want to call it. Uh, a contact guy is a little bit different. They can adjust a little bit easier. I think he'll be able to adjust a little easier by having the shortened time before the season. And during these scrimmage games, if they need to lead him off every inning off of some of these pitchers and he's see, seeing live guys, uh, they'll do that just to get him ready. He's such a key part of this lineup and not just in the lineup, but in the field and on the team. I imagine the energy level was just a huge boost. And it's going to be a huge boost once they see him back on that field. Yeah, it didn't matter if it was righty or lefty last year. He was an equal opportunity hitter when it came to pitchers. He destroyed both lefties and righties. He had 66 extra base hits and 40 of them, Jeff, came against right-handed pitching. So it doesn't matter what type of pitcher is on the mound. You really want DJ LeMahieu to have his timing there when the season starts. Now, people might have been worried about Aaron Judge's timing. His stiff neck kept him out of three of these intra-squad games, but in his first intra-squad game back, he comes back, faces James Paxton, who also made some news because Aaron Boone announced him as the second starter against the Nationals after, of course, Garrett Cole. But it was nice to see Aaron Judge swinging a bat and taking Paxton deep. He took him into a monument park out there into the netting. Didn't look like his neck was bothering him too much. No, it didn't. You know, he said he had a hard time maybe looking at the pitcher. It was a little stiff. And you just, I guess you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear any kind of injuries between Stanton and Judge. You know, any kind of little, uh, you know, broken toenail or whatever. Try to play through it. But, you know, it just gets out there. But it's good to see. He got a fastball up in the zone off of Paxton. Uh, and then Stanton got a belt tie fast 
fastball that he just turned on and hit it in the left field seats and it wound up bouncing back into the field. Uh, and as far as Paxton, I'm not worried. I'm so glad that he's is healthy right now uh, for 10 to 13 starts. You need this guy on the mound. He's got such great stuff. He just has not been able to put together a full season. Uh, it's a shame because he does have a great breaking ball. He's got a great fastball. He's such a great guy and a great competitor. And this one-two punch between Garrett Cole and Paxton, and if Tanaka hopefully can pitch during his turn, uh, maybe he's probably the number three starter. That's a that's a big three right there that you have, but especially a big two to go right at the Nationals, the defending world champions. But as far as Judge and, and, and Stanton, you know, it's nice to see 60 games. It's a shortened season. You really need these guys in the lineup all the time, and you don't want to see them have a day off or have any kind of nicks or, or bruises or something that's going to keep them out of the game. One of the guys that works in research at the S Network, James Smythe, he does an unbelievable job. Nelly, you know this too. He yeah. does uh, some research for us before we go on for the pregame and postgame when we do it. And I'm sure he does it for you when you do uh, games in the booth as well. But someone uh, posed a question. I think it was uh, actually our guest that's coming on, Michael K. I think it was him or Jack Curry who wanted to know if there was ever a time where Judge and Stanton did Homer in the same inning. How many times did it happen? And the answer was once. And it yeah, was kind of it was kind of weird because it was the game in Toronto that went into extra innings, tied at 0-0, and both of these guys go deep in the 13th inning, and that's the only time they've done it. And I know we brought it up, and I know we made a big deal out of the stiff neck, but George King from the New York Post, you know, he had something in his column. He said it the best. It just, when, when any body part from Judge barks, it really does give people the reason to get a little bit antsy because we know how many injuries have kept them out of the lineup. So that was nice to see him taking Paxton deep. Yeah, you know, and as, as an opposing pitcher, I mean, when I used to come in and we used to face teams, especially, you know, the big bopper teams like the Texas Rangers back when I played, when they had Juan Gonzalez and Pudge Rodriguez and Will Clark and hitters. I mean, these guys were the... I guess the most powerful team and their lineup one through nine was scary. You would come in and say, okay, who's out? And you would hope one of these guys were out. And I'm sure opposing pitchers say, okay, as Judge or Stanton are in there, as soon as they look at the lineup, it's very intimidating to opposing pitchers to have these two guys because if you make a mistake, the ball's going to get out. And and we said this on Monday when we talked with Ken that with no fans, the ball's going to carry. And yeah. it's it's going to get out a little bit easier than with having fans in that in that stadium and having all the, I guess, hot air and everybody cheering, uh, you know, the humidity is going to be a little bit heavier when fans are in the stands. But, you know, you make a mistake now. You talk about last year when the ball was just flying all over the place because the ball was juiced up or whatever you want to say. Now, no fans. The ball doesn't have to be juiced up. You're going to get those home runs. All right, Nelly. Uh, that's going to wrap up our first segment. It's time to welcome in our uh, guest for today's podcast, and that is the voice of the New York Yankees on the Yes Network, Mr. Michael K. He is the voice of the New York Yankees. And Michael, let's start there first and foremost uh, with the voice. How is it going? Um, and is there any relief maybe? Uh, maybe this is a godsend this year, not having to do 150 plus games with the Yankees. I know you want to, but does it give you what you need a little bit of a break here with the voice? 
You know what? I, I think that after like the first two weeks uh, when I came back from the surgery last year, I, I think I was cool that everything was okay. So, you know, I've been doing the radio show four hours a day and uh, thank God no problems whatsoever. So I would have rather been doing the however many games that I would normally do and then have everybody be normal and things like that. So uh, I guess it doesn't hurt to give the voice a little bit of a rest, but I don't think that that was going to be an issue uh, this year. Michael, how tough is it going to be when road games, when you have to do it in the studio and you're not live and you're not seeing things? that happen because I know you're going to have tons of camera angles but just being able to see stuff on the field that maybe cameras don't pick up you know you're, that's going to be lost now totally lost Jeff uh, and you know a lot of it's, I, I'd say it's 50-50 TV announcers um, like half of them work off the monitor and half of them don't and I don't work off the monitor I never have maybe it's because of my radio days and I think that as you said you get a better view of the field I could see where people are positioned and, and, a, and a director might not be doing that and it's no fault of his own you know he's only got a limited amount of a, a screen so he, he's going to show what he has to show but it, it's going to be difficult also uh, it's hard to read a, a, a ball off the bat on TV you know, is it going to be a home run sometimes it looks like a home run it could be a fly ball to medium range left field so it's, it's something that we're going to have to adjust to I'm not complaining every single announcer is going to go through the same thing and, and you know in more technical terms it's not going to be a, a yes network broadcast for the road games because it's not going to be our guys it's not going to be John Moore and Bill Bowen calling the shots it's going to be what they call a world beat so it's going to be kind of homogenous so I can't talk about uh, the Yankee bullpen catcher for a couple of batters because they're not going to show it because it's not applicable to the other team so it's a brave new world and it's going to be a different look for people i think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for the viewers as well but it's a yellow brick road back to some type of normalcy regardless of how we do these things and 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 who's doing the games michael because baseball's coming back i think we could all agree on that but calling yankees games this season when you're at the stadium with no fans and with the crowd noise being pumped in and with the music what, what are your thoughts on that too I'm a little bit um, apprehensive, to tell you the truth, Chris, because I talked to Gary Thorne, uh, the Orioles television broadcaster. And the Orioles, a couple of years ago, because of the uh, unrest in Baltimore, had one game without fans on the stands at Camden Yards. And Gary told me a story that, you know, he has a big, booming voice, great voice. Adam Jones had a double, I believe. And, you know, he, he called the double. And Adam Jones is standing at second base, and he yells up at the press box, Gary, shut up, we can all hear you. <laughs> so that, that's going to be a weird vibe. It, it really is going to be weird. And, and, and just think about it. So for a Yankee home game, you've got me in one booth. You've got David Cohn in the other. So they're going to separate us. Then you've got Susan in one booth and you've got John in another. And then you've got Spanish language radio in another. And you're going to hear all of these different voices. And of all the three voices that are going to be doing play by play, John has the most booming voice. I think it's going to be odd. It's going to be odd for the players. And uh, I, I'm a little less apprehensive because I, I do assume that they're going to pump in crowd noise. So it's, we're, our voices aren't going to be the only things there. But it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. Again, not complaining. It's just, uh, it's just the way it's going to be. And everybody's going to have to deal with it. Yeah, I tried not watching the scrimmage games, and I, I couldn't help but I, I had to find out what was going on because it just seemed like, oh, this looks like Central Park softball or something because there's nobody, there's no noise or nothing. So I did finally have to watch. And I can't imagine as a player playing, you know, not even on the backfields in spring training where there's no fans and no sound whatsoever and you can hear everything, uh, being able to play a game without some kind of crowd noise or some kind of noise, at least I think these guys will might be able to take away from not seeing anybody in the, fan, in the stands by hearing them anyway or hearing music because players feed off of that. And, and that's a whole energy level that, that gets you up during the game and watching these little inter-squad games, you know, 
know, I can't help but think, but it just seems dead. And during the season, it may be seeing, it seemed like it's dead. No, I, I agree. I mean, you wouldn't have been able to do the chainsaw if there was no crowd. I mean, you strike out somebody. So it, it's, I think that the teams that are probably going to be the the best at this are like the teams like the Marlins and the Rays that don't get big crowds anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now you can hear a pin the drop Yankees anyway. Are, you know, Yankees are used to playing in front of 45,000 people all the time. So that, that's going to be a little odd. It, it is, and, and I was talking to Buck Showalter about this. He said the best teams are going to be the self-starters that you know know what their job is and they're going to have to motivate themselves. But if they need to be carried by a crowd, he said you're going to have some difficulty because some players really do ride off the wave of the crowd. And, and you know, they, they might be riding off your wave of your call or John's call. And and to me, I mean, look, I might just be blowing in the wind here, but uh, it could be like a bat flip, you know, hearing Michael K say see ya on a home run. If the pitcher's on the mound and he hears you, Michael, that might be like a, the equivalent of a bat flip. No, uh, I, I hope I'm not involved in that way, but uh, that's like nuke the loose. Next thing you know, you get a ball up in the booth. Yeah, absolutely. You would do it. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I, I was talking to Alan Boone the other day on, on the radio show, and he goes, yeah, he goes, it's going to be weird. He goes, I'm going to, like, look up at the booth every now and then and go, no, Michael, that's not what's going down on the field, what you're saying right now. He says, I just want to hear you say a lot of see you. So uh, I, I, I shudder to think that we'll be uh, intimately involved in the outcome of the game. I don't think we will, but we are going to be background noise, I'll tell you that. Well, it's going to be interesting. I said it to these guys, and I said it last uh, last on Monday, or, or for a podcast that we do on Monday, that with no fans, I think the ball's going to carry. They had the juice ball problem. Them last year, the ball was flying all over the place, but I don't think they're going to have to worry about that this year. With no fans, I see the ball getting out of everywhere, uh, you know, even faster maybe than last year. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. Now, I heard your comment yesterday, the Yankees, I started working on that extra inning thing, which I absolutely think is a joke. Adam Adovino thinks it's a joke. And, you know, just to get your thoughts on our podcast about the extra inning thing, you know, it, having a guy on second right in the 10th inning, maybe in the 13th inning, if it got a little bit deeper, I can understand just because of this year. Year, but right off the bat in the 10th inning you got a guy on second yeah I don't like it I mean I don't like it but I'm not going to complain about it because I'm going to be I'm trying to be very zen this year and I understand that this is the year <laughs> to try things <laughs> and me being zen is not easy but if you're going to be funky be funky this year try things out I understand it and I guess I understand you don't you want to have the players there longer than they would have to be there with everything that they're battling so I guess I get it this year but boy I, I don't want this to be a thing going forward it's like it's almost like a carnival act I mean why not have a home run derby in the 10th inning? It's just not baseball. It's not baseball. But it has worked in the minor leagues in terms of shortening games. I think um, extra inning games, 70% of the time, they end in the 10th inning. So I think that's what they're looking for. So it's it's a brave new world. But that's not the way we were all brought up. It's just it's not it's not the game. But, you know, I, I give credit to uh, Rob Manford and the people in baseball that they're trying to change things around. And I guess this is the first step, and this is the first time that they could try to do it. But I hope when everything returns to normal, if it ever does, that this is not part of baseball yeah i'm on the i'm on the same boat as you michael i i think it's great this year to to keep the players safe and make the games a little bit faster if that's the case but i think it adds another layer of strategy as well and i could see a lot of managers if that's the case why not depending on where they are in the lineup why not intentionally walk the first batter you see and set up a double play immediately that's the one positive thing that i get out of this chris is that it is going to employ some strategy but the weird part and jeff i'm sure you can appreciate this the game has gotten so 
far away from the game that this almost returns it to the game because there's no bunting in baseball anymore. There's no hitting to the right side to drive a runner over to third. Those are things that are going to have to be relearned. I don't know how easily it's going to be relearned. I mean, these guys have three weeks to get ready, and they're just trying to get ready. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to ask them to pick up a skill set, and I think it's kind of it's ridiculous that you're going to have to relearn how to bunt, but nobody knows how to bunt anymore. The, the, the game is launch angle and to hit home runs, and if you strike out, you strike out. Uh, the bunt was taken away because of money ball because they look at every one of the 27 out as sacrosanct and they don't they don't want to waste one by bunting so all of a sudden that goes all out the window in the 10th inning it's kind of weird and maybe something that is totally against old-time baseball will bring back some old-time baseball fans because you're bringing back the, the things that have been taken out of the game because of the home run yeah you're absolutely right you know it's going to be exciting i think in some ways even though i don't like it either having a guy on second uh, you're going to have to have guys give up themselves give up their at bats you know maybe not the big hitters like you know judge or, or stanton you're not going to have those guys bunt and like chris said maybe you have an intentional walk with one of those and then you do try to set up a double play but guys are going to have to re- relearn how to bunt and maybe you see that during the regular season as well because with the shortened season you can already see that the hitters or most of the hitters are behind the pitchers are ahead you're going to have to play some small ball in some instances to try to score some runs and win because there's no getting off to slow starts there's no oh you know what we had a bad couple weeks and uh, we'll be able to make up for it in june or july well you're not going to be able to make up for it you might be seeing uh, surprise teams in the playoffs but the teams that do play maybe the small ball are the ones or at least stay healthy enough to get there I would agree with you, and I think that an added layer for this season, I don't think anybody wants a 60-game season, but you almost have to look at it, well, every single game is about two and a half, two and three quarters more important than a regular season game in a normal 162-game year, so I think you got to try to win every single game, and the stats are out there. The worst teams in baseball last year, some of them had decent 60-game stretches, so anybody can have a decent 60-game stretch. I think that the beauty of baseball is that you do find out who the contenders are and who the pretenders are because over 162 games uh, a team's weaknesses are going to be exposed over 60 games they're not going to be exposed they might not be exposed so I think you might see. Let's, I don't think. I don't think it could happen with the Orioles, but you know, maybe the Marlins do get off to a good start, and all of a sudden they're in it in the, in the final month of the season. That would be good for the game. That would be good for the franchise. But you know, you don't want to see the Dodgers or the Yankees get off to a bad start because we're all talking about the legitimacy of what a championship would mean this year. Well, if you have two teams that nobody expected to be in the World Series, then no one's going to look at this season and go as legitimate. But if the World Series has the Yankees and the Dodgers in it, then I think that people might look at it more in a legitimate way, and you know when they look back on it 20 years from now it'll say Yankee champion or the Dodgers champion it won't look as weird but if it does say Marlins or or the Orioles the champion that could that could delegitimize a lot of what the season's about Michael since you brought up championships and champions are you looking at the Yankees as the title favorite in this 60 game season Yankees and the Dodgers I, I would say you know, teams that have good bullpens, teams that have depth, organizational depth, because, I mean, there are going to be injuries and there are going to be positive tests where you're going to lose a guy. Uh, I think the teams that will keep their guys healthy, both, um, you know, baseball injuries and then with COVID, they're, they're the ones that have the best chance. But if you lose like a big time pitcher because of COVID-19, where they could be out for three weeks, three weeks is almost half the season. I don't know if you could absorb that. I think the Yankees and the Dodgers have the depth of pitching and in the bullpen that they can absorb uh, any type of loss, you know, obviously 
obviously you don't want that. Uh, and, you know, there are other teams that, that are scary as well. One team I think that you have, really have to look out for the Tampa Bay Rays because everything that you need to do in a 60-game season, they're good at. And they also have, you know, they've worked this, the opener to a T. They're the ones that kind of invented it a couple of years ago. They've got bullpen depth. They've got a lot of pitching. They've got speed. They've got really smart people that run their organization. And if I'm the Yankees, I think that the 10 games against the Rays are going to decide who's going to win that division. And, and also an unfair advantage for the Rays is that in interleague play, they're going to play the Marlins six times. The Yankees are going to play the Mets six times. Those six games could actually decide the difference between the two teams. So I don't discount the Rays either, but I look at the Yankees and the Dodgers as the best team. With the Yankees, as far as the players, uh, getting to the World Series, what is the reason as far as a player? Who Who is the reason that helps them get there? And who's that player or players that possibly keeps them from getting to the World Series? Well, I, I think it comes down to their bullpen because, you know, you, you said it earlier, uh, it, it's a situation where the pitchers are, are well ahead uh, of the hitters right now. So there's going to be low-scoring games at the beginning, but you're also not going to have a lot of uh, innings out of your starters. So your bullpen, I believe, is going to be asked to get 12 to 15 outs every single game, except maybe when Garrett Cole pitches. Uh, that'll be for the first three weeks of the season. Again, when you say three weeks of the season, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's almost half the season. So that that's a concern. I think the Yankee bullpen is very, very good, very, very deep. And even their pitchers in you know in their um, in their franchise, you know, from 13 to 19, those are pitches that could get outs. Uh, for the Yankees uh, in in the middle innings, and that's important in chew-up innings. So I think that that would be key, and uh, obviously for the Yankees, if they don't make it, I think one of the key guys on their team is going to be uh, Garrett Cole. I, I look at him, he's been better than advertised in every single way. If for some reason they would lose him for an extended period of time, I think that would hurt them tremendously, because remember, they don't have Luis Severino either. Uh, so I, I think Garrett Cole is pretty important, and the bullpen is hugely important. Hey, Michael, Jake Brown here. You guys can catch the Michael K Show Monday through Friday, ESPN Radio 98.7 FM from 3 to 7 p.m. What is the dynamic like in the three Man, you know, you're used to it, the three-man booth during games, but doing it on a radio show, three talking heads. We know Don goes on some epic Mets rants, which I love, um, and Peter yeah. does a lot of the lifestyle stuff as well. What is that three-headed uh, dynamic like on the radio? You know, we've been together so long, Jake, that we kind of know when the other one wants to talk. And, you know, when Peter and I have also learned that when Don's head is starting to turn red, you just sit back and let him do it and don't interrupt him because usually it turns into a viral rant. Uh, it, it's been a little bit different, you know, during this time when we're all doing the show from home. So we can't really take body cues. You know, I, I can look at Don when I'm in the studio and I know when he's about to go off. I know when Peter wants to say something. But again, the fact that we've worked together, uh, all three of us, for four or five years, I, I think we really do know each other's timing. So, so that that's that's a dynamic that we don't worry about. And, and I got to tell you what, the, the most surprising thing of all during uh, this pause that we've all taken in life is that, you know, the ratings came out for, you know, the three months, uh, April, May, and June, which is, you know, a fairly important ratings book in, in, the, in, in the industry. And uh, we had been finishing first for about a year, and I thought we were just going to get crushed because it's a sports show and there's no sports. So we ended up finishing third. Uh, behind two music stations. So we were really proud of that and the fact that, you know, people are tuning in more or less because of the personality aspect and, you know, they get sports and all, but if, if we didn't have a personality that people could, like, relate to or hate or love, then I don't think people would have tuned in. So that, that that's a really good feeling that we're, we're kind of helping Well, I listen, I listen down here in Florida. Thank you. 
you. I know that, Jeff, because I get texts every now and then when I say something <laughs> dumb. So I always appreciate no. that. On that <laughs> on that ratings front, obviously you started passing Francesa when he was done, and now he's only doing whatever, the half or hour show. Do you miss that battle? Do you miss each other, calling each other guys out? You know, you dropping the Diet Coke in the garbage. Do you miss that kind of fiery back and forth with him not on drive time anymore? Well, I mean, it, it certainly did, you know, it kind of raised your game. And I'm sure Jeff could speak to this. When you play a really good team, you probably up your game just a little bit because you're, you're motivated. But the pressure of trying to beat him all the time, I don't I don't particularly miss that. It was nice. You know, the last time he was on the radio, we ended up beating him and, and beating him soundly. So that, that was a really good feeling. And, and I have total respect to the career that he's had. I mean, he is an iconic radio broadcaster, but I've said this before, you know, the lack of respect that he had toward us and, and the, you know, the pot shots that he took, you know, everybody says about the Diet Coke thing. We, we only did that because of things that he was saying about us. I never throw the first punch. I'll always counter punch or something like that. But you know what? I, I miss the competition, but I don't miss the competition, if that makes sense on that radio front is that Craig Carton is soon going to be back and people are talking about him returning to the fan and maybe being drive time. Do you, you know, welcome a, another competition with Craigie? I don't know if you guys are friends or not, but what do you think about him potentially coming back to the fan and on the air and, you know, in the same time slot as you? It'll be interesting. I actually, uh, I actually, um, you know, before, uh, Craig uh, went back, went to jail. You know, we had a long lunch, and uh, I, I think we, you know, we're, we're in a really good spot. But you know, Craig is very, very competitive, so I'm sure that would be thrown out the window. It would be, it would be an interesting competition. It would be a very difficult competition because I think he's an unbelievable radio broadcaster. But um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if we have to battle out. You know, I have total respect for you know Joe and Evan. Uh, they do a good show as well. But you know, so far, you know, we, we've, we've done well against them. But uh, I, I don't want to see anybody lose their job. So you know. If Craig is in that spot, what happens to Joe and Evan, who've been there a long time? I'm sure they would shapeshift them a little bit, but you know, certainly nothing that uh, we're worried about at this point. But if that move is is made by FAN, it's something that we'd have to consider, and it would be uh, it would be a healthy competition because uh, Carton is really, really good at what he does. Now, would what he does play in afternoon the way it plays in the morning i don't know i've been told by radio people afternoon is completely different than morning there's things that you could do in morning that you can't do in afternoon but again carton is so good at this i'm sure that uh, he would adapt but uh we'll see i'm sure he's gonna have a lot of options because as i said in terms of what this business is about he's about as good as you could get and uh, i'm sure he's gonna have a lot of offers for sure and and i think he should have a second chance he served his time he did what he had to do uh you know going to jail certainly can't can't be easy and uh, the bottom line is he did and he served his time and I believe that he has an opportunity and should get an opportunity to get another chance well you're you're pretty damn good at what you do too Michael and uh, you do it on a lot of fronts and one of the best uh, times in radio and TV in the past year was your interview with Craig it was must see not only TV but it was radio as well and you did a tremendous job for the time you were with him in studio I mean I was locked in and I there was just not even looking away from the TV usually you look down at your phone and you try to distract yourself when you're watching something but people were laser focused on that interview and it was a tremendous job but if I could spin it back to TV really quick and I, I've talked to Jack Curry about this about yes's coverage during spring training 2.0 at the stadium i have to say i mean i've seen spring trainings my entire life 
but I have to say this, Michael, the way that you all are covering this on Yes and, and the job that you've done and how it's a conversation and not necessarily play by play and just restarting spring training. It, 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 I'm not saying Yes is reinventing the wheel in a way, but in a way we you've kind of had to. And the way that you all are covering this is just above and beyond what I've seen anywhere else. Well, thank you. I, I got to tell you, you know, I don't want to pat our network on the back. I don't, I don't think we need it, but in, in times that, you know, we're sitting here doing it or I'm watching it when I'm not part of it, I am extremely proud of what we've done. And I'm, I'm kind of shocked not to take a shot at anybody else that every single regional sports network, which is dying for programming is not doing it. I mean, or and they might shift it over to their website or something like that. But I believe that this is reinventing the wheel. And I believe that, you know, if, 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 we, if we return back to normal, why not show spring training workouts? I think people crave that stuff. We're getting numbers on this. People want to see it. And, um, you know, why hide it? We, we've all been waiting for three, four months for baseball. And if there's baseball between the Yankees against the Yankees, why wouldn't you want to see it? I just think, I think that, you know, we, yes, has done, I mean, Bob and Jack, to be on the air four hours a day sometimes, five hours a day, every single day is incredibly heavy lifting. And I, I told Jack and Bob this, and I think that they've done an unbelievable job. And, you know, the, the rest of us has chipped in. But to keep that train moving for that many hours for something that's never been done before. You know, it's been it was fun to watch, even though it was a little dead because of there's no fans. But it was fun to watch the last couple of scrimmage games. Absolutely. I mean, you get a chance to watch like Garrett Cole pitch against the Yankees. That's it's a pretty neat thing. And, uh, you know, you get this yesterday, you get to see uh, Judge and Stanton hit home runs in the first inning of James Paxton. That's that's as close to big league baseball as we've, as we've had since last October. So, And then, Michael, how about some cool of these thing. young kids like, a, like Debbie? You know, these guys are getting on big league mounds, something, you know, because in spring training, you know, this is not spring. This is not spring in Tampa. You're at Yankee Stadium and these young kids are getting a chance to throw on a big league mound, even though there's no fans in the stands. It's still Yankee Stadium. I agree. I mean, to get a look at a guy like Clark Schmidt, you know, to have, you know, that three deck stadium rather than, the, you know, the, the, the single deck uh, stadium that they play at in Tampa. It, it's a big deal for these young kids. And even though there aren't fans in the stands, there are people watching, you know, it's being televised in New York and around the country. I think it's a pretty cool thing. And, you know, and maybe it serves these young players very well down, down the line and in the future that, you know, they've had this experience pitching on a big league mound. Michael, we can't thank you enough for, for sharing some time with us today. We know you're busy. We with the Yankees, with your radio show as well. And don't forget, you could follow Michael on Twitter at K. Listen to the Michael K. Show on ESPN Radio New York. Weekday afternoons, of course, from 3 to 7 p.m. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jake. And thank you, Jeff. Nice talking to you guys. That's a wrap for episode 10 of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown for producing the show. As always, make sure to subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars on Apple and write a nice review, if you will, please. For Yankees, great Jeff Nelson. I'm Chris Sheeran. Let's chat again on Monday as we will be days away from opening day. Talk to you then. Stay safe, everybody.